Hey everyone, today's episode is with Dr. James Richardson, and it was actually a really fun conversation. Our initial intent was to go in the direction of driving exponential growth, which of course we did cover, but we actually covered a lot of different dynamics of business, mostly being the importance of really knowing yourself and designing your business around that self-awareness. So this is an amazing listen, and I really think you should stay tuned and let's get the episode going. So the big question is this. How do value-obsessed leaders ascend their business and life to world-class levels of effectiveness, even if they're inside a bureaucracy or starting from scratch with absolutely no capital? That is the question, and this podcast is going to bring you the answer. My name is Doug Utberg, and this is the Terminal Value Podcast. Welcome to the Terminal Value Podcast. We have Dr. James Richardson with us today, and we're going to be talking about generating exponential growth in your business. So, you know, when we talk about exponential growth, you know, in the pre-show, one of the things you know, that we were talking about is that it is actually, truthfully speaking, very simple, yet very hard to generate that exponential growth. And I'm going to let Dr. James explain why that is. So James, please introduce yourself and don't let me talk too much. Thanks for having me, Doug. Great to be here. Yeah, I talk a bit in my, I talk a lot in my book about what has driven exponential growth for some of the now famous food and beverage brands uh-huh. that didn't exist 20 years ago, like Kind Bar. Yeah. And what the research shows and my own experience shows is that these were products whose very design and positioning in their, their categories and their industries was simply so remarkable that the early consumers are the ones who did all the marketing. And it's called word of mouth. If you talk to market researchers on fast growing businesses and they do surveys, the top driver is usually word of mouth. How'd, yeah. you, hear, how'd you hear about us? It wasn't a website. It wasn't an ad. It was what well, my friend told me about. <laughs> yeah. So, and of course, right, you know, every nonprofit organization in the face of the planet, when you talk about how do you grow, they'll all say word of mouth, which of course is makes perfect sense, but it's extremely hard to scale. So the question is, how do you generate it? And then to the extent that you can scale it, how do you scale it? So it's hard to generate because most people are starting companies or they're not actually aware of it, but they're actually copycatting somebody else. And that actually <laughs> makes sense because there's only so many genuinely new ideas. Yeah. And to the extent that such things actually exist, they are almost always extremely deep in some niche, you know, because there are very few things that any of us can do that haven't been done in some way, shape or form by somebody else at some point in the past. So the key to doing something, to designing a business in any industry, it doesn't matter whether it's professional services, like what I do or selling in the great, the next kind bar is you actually have to understand the category of offering that you're in. And the only way to do that, Doug, is to really immerse yourself with people who consume it. Uh Uh-huh. So the problem in my industry is that most of the founders are they're whiteboard innovators. Yeah. They're not actually talking to real human beings. Yeah. I was going to say, so yeah, <laughs> un- yeah, unpack that a little bit. Whiteboard innovator. I think I know what that's shorthand for. They, but, uh, they believe what a lot of us believe, which is that the lone individual can sort of perfect. I have this perfect, perfect ideation process mm-hmm. that occurs inside the skull. It didn't happen for my exponentially growing consulting business, and it didn't yeah. happen for most of the book case studies in my book in consumer yeah. package goods. So almost nobody okay. gets, gets their offering correct by themselves or with their original team. There's usually a bazillion problems with the design. Yeah. Forget the operation of the business, which is a separate. Those skills are honestly are easier to learn than the design issues yeah. because the design issues, when there are flaws, they're usually really minor. And in my world, 
it's we are so lazy when it comes to shopping and trying new things. We will we will not only not try new things in food and beverage because we already have our favorite brands, but we will also reject new things for the tiniest flaws. And it's the kind of flaws that people new to the industry will make. So the thing is, you have to get your thing out there into the yeah, well, market. Well, okay, so, so I was going to say, you just teased a great hook. So let, yeah. let's go through <laughs> a few examples of those tiny flaws. That was a good engagement trick there, you know, kind of teased us a little bit. So I'm going to draw us in. So give us a few examples. Satisfy the curiosity. So a good example would be your product. I have a client. I have a, well, I'm not going to go into that because I can't blind them. But anyways, there are folks that have a product that its design innovation can only be perceived through usage. Oh, interesting. Okay. And then they fail to put any symbolism on the pack, which would be revealed to somebody shopping casually at a store that would very clearly signal either through known cultural symbolism, icons, or through vernacular language, that mystery is inside just try it and find out for yourself, right? Now, this is uh-huh. very classic package symbol marketing in all sorts of industries. And the, the pros are really good at it. In some, when you start to get really innovative, though, it's not always clear what is the symbolism that's actually going to get people to say, oh, oh, I know why this is different. Yeah, let me try yeah. that. And that has to happen, dude, in less than half a second, that, that sing- set signaling. I, I talk for chapters in my book about how you create that symbol, how you create Uh that symbolism. But the really, the only way to know that it's right is you have to actually try it out and then talk to people. Well, see well, if they and, get it. Yeah. Well, and because I guess kind of my thought when, when you were initially talking was so I think there's, you know, of course, right, there's the whiteboard method, which has, which is fraught with possibility for error. What you were describing is almost what I would call the focus group method, which is where you get a really comprehensive understanding. And then, you know, what I would almost augment that with is that you need to figure out, you need to start with that understanding or as much of an understanding as you can get and then figure out how you can test as cost-effectively as possible, because it's almost certainly going to take more than one iteration to get to your optimal result. So in my industry, iteration can be painful, but at small scale, if if you're doing 50,000 unit product runs, it's a lot cheaper to be switching your packaging every run than when you're 5 million units. Yes, correct. So the time to do it is early on. What what my book talks about is that you have to talk to your repeat using fans. Mm -hmm. So you actually don't want to just do a focus group with people who say they're interested. That's the, that's as bad as doing a whiteboard imagining. You need to talk to the people who are actually buying your thing again and again, because uh-huh. they've figured something out. The question is, you don't necessarily, you have to be humble enough yeah. to understand that you don't know what it is. And I went through this process for my own business, Doug, because yeah. I, and I'm a, I'm a professional social scientist in market right. research. Okay. But I was smarter because I am a professional. I knew that I didn't have the answers starting off. So I had picked a new target audience for an old skill set, which is, you know, not uncommon for people who go on there out on their own like myself. Yeah. And, but I didn't really know the audience and I knew I didn't know it. So I spent the first two years floundering around doing uh-huh. very, very cheap work just to get access to them. Yes. <laughs> That story is typical of a lot of people, especially in professional <laughs> yeah. services who are starting off. Right. Is you know you're going from hey I have a business to okay I need <laughs> people to know who I am and be willing to give me money. That's right, and that, it, that, and it that's all a, comes that's down. That's a pretty major big to, uh, bridge to cross. And it all comes down to empathy, because yeah. once you have figured out what problems your audience has that and the ones that the one or one or two that you can solve better than other people based on your skill set, then you start to have an argument for marketing. I have a content marketing driven business. I don't rely on 20th century sales relationship building, even though my services are not 
cheap to my audience per se. Mm-hmm. I don't do that. I, I sort of basically just drown them in content for years and then slowly they come. <laughs> I say, that is a, that's an extremely introverted strategy. It is, it is uh, but I'm, I'm pathologically introverted. So <laughs> like I don't shine in B2B handshake yep sort of cocktail Don Draper conversations. Like I would lose clients by doing that. <laughs> so I, I have sold over 8,000 copies of my book. I have 10,000 followers on LinkedIn. I have a national audience. They like my stuff. And they, often I'll get people say, hey, James, we're going to be in Tucson. We'd love to take you out for a beer. I know what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking, God, can we get some free advice from this idiot? No, they're not jerks. Yeah, They just want to hang out with me. I mean, I don't yeah. want to sound like an egomaniac, but that's basically the thing. They want to ha- thank me and hang out with me. And to, to them, the beer is like an added fee on top of the book price as a thank yeah. you. But I know that if I did that, I'll probably lose them as a client because, well, in my case, I have Asperger's. So I'll probably say something insensitive or weird in the first 60 minutes and they'll be like, oh, he's weird. Yeah. So I'd rather keep, <laughs> I'd rather keep them. This is beautiful. In my I, content I love this. World. <laughs> I, I love, well, I, well I, okay. So, so I think one of the things that, that you're demonstrating, which I think is, uh, is amazing is that, there is a go-to-market strategy for however your personality is structured. And I would say, you know, particularly if you're talking about somebody, you know, because I think, you know, in a lot of cases where you're talking, uh, where you're talking Asperger's, again, you know, you're, you may have a tendency to say something awkward socially, but that also means you will have an exceptional ability to concentrate, create content. And so it's really a question of leveraging your superpowers, you know, first knowing what they are and then leverage them appropriately. And I think the when you highlight your strengths like that as you go to market, people will absolutely put up with your weaknesses. This is what yeah. they don't tell you in in the Dale Carnegie class, you know, because it's all about being the perfect dude with the the, yeah. smooth, the smooth talking horseshit. Now, I I worked for one of those guys for fifteen yeah. years, a very effective old school sales guy. And the things I learned from him, very little, but the things I learned from him, I still use. Yeah. Because it's a performance, right? So you put on the performance. And when I am selling and I do it in 15 minute calls, because I know for 15 minutes, I can sound like the Dale Carnegie certificate. <laughs> well, well and although I think that nowadays more than any, more than ever before, I think there's all, I don't want to say there's more tolerance because that's the wrong word, but I was going to say there's more of an opening for atypical business models than really there ever has been. Because I think, you know, in the old days, it was basically, yeah. you know, if you want to sell something and you want to scale it, mass market's pretty much your only option. And if you're going to go mass market, you're going to need to have a sales force. They all look the same. They all act right. the same. They all use the same script. They're interchangeable replicas. You know, they're interchangeable, identical replicas. You don't have to build a business that way anymore. No. And I, well, I don't think it works. I mean, I think the, the reality is that that world is over. And I think... Yeah. I, my timing was a little, was almost too lucky with LinkedIn taking off because LinkedIn yeah. is perfect for content driven thought leaders who are not yeah. very smooth with their tongues. Now I'm a good, I'm a good monologist, but notice what's missing there. It's the dialogue. Right? Yes. <laughs> so I'm great if I'm either not talking and listening, cause I list, I actually do fucking listen mm. like, cause I'm an anthropologist. Yeah. So like I absorb yeah. and then I spew. <laughs> So my services are not necessarily that different in terms of what I do for folks, but I do, but by the time they come to my sessions and mm-hmm. paid that money, they're psychologically, they're sunk costs. They're so deep in yeah. that they actually will tolerate some messiness from the deliverer because they're more interested in the value. So my business is about pricing value, not what some consulting businesses are, which are actually selling relationships. So if you go to the big four management consulting firms, yeah, yeah. they do a lot of PowerPoint. That's not the value. No. The value is who the partners at Boston Consulting Group know in the industry. 
Yes. That's the value. It's who they know. It's who they can get on the phone for you. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Precisely. Well, and that's that's a different skill set to build that network up. Correct. I I do not have it. Well, correct. Well, it's like when I'm talking with people in the community who are thinking about college and they always ask me, okay, well, you know, what's my opinion on college? And I always say, you know, it depends on what you want to do. You know, if you want to do like BCG hedge fund for Congress or Senate, you know, in that case, you're talking Harvard, Brown, Stanford, Berkeley, you know, the, the big name places. If you want to work in gov or corporate, you're going to need to have a degree from a place that's reputable. If you want to be an entrepreneur, it's unnecessary. Everything you want, everything you learn there, you can learn on the internet for free. And if you don't have the motivation to do that, you'll fail as an entrepreneur. You know, you just hit on something, Doug, that your audience will find amusing is that I have a disproportionate of clients who are old frat boys and they used to put my head in the toilet. <laughs> I school. I think there's a measure of guilt in the back of their head. They not only are paying me, but they feel bad how they treated the nerds because now they need them. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now you need the nerds. Well, that, that was the old Bill Gates line was to be nice to nerds because you'll probably work for one someday. Or you'll be hiring them. Yeah. yeah, yeah or you'll be hiring them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's this thing called coding that I've heard about, but I have no clue how to do. I got this thing that I want to do this other thing. Can you just make that happen? Well, okay. What do you have? I have some doodles. All right. I can work with that. <laughs> It all comes down to knowing your audience. And the thing is that the folks that are humble enough to listen from their early fans, they'll probably iterate better. Yeah. And the better iteration will will unleash a design into the market that generates word of mouth, you know, and that's yeah. what happens when you just listen and you, mm-hmm. you, you, you dialogue yeah. with the world with your innovation and your, and I did the same thing. So I, I started selling X, Y, and Z to the totally wrong people. Yeah. And, and it drove me back. I mean, as a person who is Aspie, I literally, my blood pressure goes up when I stare into falsehood yeah. and stupidity. I just want to scream, right? And I realized I was getting in front of people who are making massive mistakes, like unbelievable piles of mistakes. And I sell strategic advising. And the strategy was usually the biggest mistake. And I saw it everywhere. And I'm like, wow, there's yeah. a lot of business here. I'll be rich. And then I realized, oh, wait, until the business is at a certain level, they, don't even want to, they can't even absorb that discussion. Well, and not, not, <laughs> I was going to say, yes. So you know, not only that, but until there is a pain level associated with the status quo that's extremely high, Nobody is going to be remotely interested. It can be the best improvement offer ever. Nobody will pay attention until their pain level is so high that they yeah, say that, something and, has to be done. And that that also goes for the old 20th century yeah. approach that used to work, which is, hey, here's my first 10 clients. I 10X their revenue. I 20X did. I 40X did. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Because <laughs> they people in the early stages in this honeymoon period where, like you said, until the blood is literally in their eyeballs yeah, from their own mistakes, they don't understand, oh, sh- I don't yeah. know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. And, yes. you know, I think that was the only advantage I had do, going out on my own because I'd already been a consultant for 15 years. Mm-hmm. So I bet yeah. I made it, yeah. I'd already made every bloody mistake trying to always be right with the client, uh, hating the client because they didn't do everything you said, all the dumbass newbie mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. As I'm fond of, of saying, uh, I know it wasn't me that made this up, but I think I heard it. So I'm, I can't give attribution, but funniest things I heard was, you know, if you build a better mousetrap, the world will walk right past your door unless you advertise it and they need a mousetrap. <laughs> Right. No, seriously, they have to be in the, ca- they have the category has to be relevant, right? So I, yeah, yeah, exactly. it took me a while to realize that I couldn't just aim my content or write the yeah. book, for example, for people who were at the beginning of the startup 
food, beverage, no, personal care no, journey. No, no. But the weird, the weird thing is they love my book, but they love my book because they think that now with the book, they'll get farther. And I hope they do get farther. I really do. And that was the point of the book was to kind of, for the first, you know, $5 million, use my book. Yeah. Then if you have a problem, call me. <laughs> and that's sort of what's happened. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, uh, well, I mean, and, and I think that's a beautiful model. And, you know, but I think one of the things that it pretends, which we're getting a little off topic, but that's fine. It's a great conversation. One of the things that pretends is that, you know, there are different levels of ideas and service that you need at different stages of your advancement. And, you know, and in order to go right. through kind of getting back to topic, good, in order to go through exponential growth, what you have to know where those transition points are, because yep. otherwise at some point you'll hit a wall or a ceiling, depending on your metaphor. Yeah. And I think I often get hired when the business is at a transition point, it's either starting yeah. to decelerate or the founders are now getting overwhelmed with the scale of the potential error. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it was all fun and games when the error cost you a hundred grand. Yeah. So I, I, you know, getting that third party who's not emotionally involved becomes almost priceless. Yes, precisely. Well, and, you know, I think that's actually where, and so I think this is kind of getting back to the exponential growth idea, because, you know, yeah. we already talked about the word of mouth idea, but also things like a book that are targeted, that is targeted at your audience to help them get through a certain part of their journey is actually a critical marketing tool because if you have somebody who's read your books, they've gotten to about five, scaled to about five, 10 million bucks and now has an enormous mess that's consuming their life. You're probably <laughs> going to be on the short list of for people for them to, call, to, to okay. call. They might call a few other people, but you'll be on the list. And if you're I'm doing so professional services, you only need to be on the list and you'll do fine because you'll close a certain percentage and yeah, you don't have to exactly. close that many in order to have a very, very that, comfortable life. What I would say is that the old school model, it used marketing only to remind people to pick up the phone when their sales guy would call. <laughs> right? And it was all very much a sales conversation, handshake, yeah. old boys thing. What's happened is most of that sales upfront sales cycle has moved to content. Yes. And yeah. that's what younger people definitely want. They want, they don't want a sales guy in their face, not until the very end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, I, I would augment that with and say that, you know, if you're running your business and you have more of an extroverted bend, in that case, then one of the things you can augment your content with is if you do things like frequent lives or right. podcasts yeah. or videos, could, ways for people to have seen you feel like you've been talking to them for, you know, days, weeks, months, years yeah. before you actually even have a conversation. Right. I mean, and that's, now, I know uh, you do that through the written word, but you can also do that through things like lives, videos, et cetera. And I, et cetera. And I do, you know, I do all that, what you just described, I do that on LinkedIn platform. So, yeah. and I, I host my own webinars. So there's all sorts of, Beautiful. And, every, and every webinar has a Q and a section. So that's where people, people feel like they can get some interaction with me. Yeah. But it's totally controlled and contained. <laughs> And, you know, in the case of moi, I have my VA filtering the questions so I don't like have a conniption fit live, you know, <laughs> well, because, you know, I am in a male dominated industry. So there's yeah. always some pushy dudes who are trying to like, they're not trolls, but they're just trying yeah. to get some free consulting. And it's like, <laughs> and, you know, I'm one of those guys where, you know, the repeated annoyance, I get very annoyed. So <laughs> I just hire this. I just, she, I just don't see those questions, Doug. They yeah, yeah that, 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 that's, that, that's probably a good thing. Well, and because one of the things that you're demonstrating that I think is really important too is 
to know yourself, you know, because I think like I'm a Gen Xer, my parents are very much boomers. And so it's like kind of the, the Gen Xer boomer. Now, I think the millennials and forward are a little more self-aware than my generation and prior was, but kind of the, the Gen X boomer, the way that we all grew up is, okay, there's a certain way you're supposed to act and behave. And if you don't do that, you're a failure. And so what, you know, I think that there's a tendency to say, okay, you know what, there's this sort of, I guess what you would call the, I'll call it the high-fiving white guys model. Although I'm sure that's, that, that's both genderizing and race stereotyping. But let's just say you have kind of the, the, the high-fiving white guy stereotype. And you know, what my generation was said was, okay, basically, that's how you need to, that's how you're supposed to act. But I think that what a lot of people, you know, kind of some people in my generation, a lot of people in younger generations are starting to figure out is that, okay, no, you really need to be authentically, uniquely you. And if you have quirks, then what you do is you figure out ways to accommodate those. What I really appreciate about you is that you were self-aware enough to know that you have certain quirks that people may perceive negatively. And so what you do is instead of saying, no, everybody has to just take me the way that I am, you say, no, people are where they are and they react to certain quirks a certain way. I'm self-aware enough to know that I'm just going to work around those. And I, I think that's actually a really critical thing that is easy for people to overlook because if you're in a situation where you have, say, like a lot of employees or you're working for a lot of people who are dependent on you for their money, they're not going to tell you what, you, <laughs> what your downsides so, are because yeah. they don't want to get on your bad side. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. I think that's got to change in our society because we, we spend most of our time with strangers. Yes. Whether it's <laughs> right. on this screen like I'm doing right now or whatever. And so we've got to be more consciously tolerant of people's yeah. quirks and stuff because, yes. you know, in, if you look at how we treat our family members, we tolerate crazy behavior from our Oh, family. God, yes. But that's part of the game. That, yeah, that's... Because we also know what value they bring to us. So it's yeah. all a trade-off. The problem with strangers is we... And, you know, and this is a... You know, in professional services, is a big deal. Like when you're looking for a consultant or when you're yeah. um, screening clients, you have to be able to deal with a range of different people. And I thought I studied acting in high school because I use mirroring. Yeah. I, I'm a fanatical user of mirroring. Yep. I just did it with a client I know where the CEO yep. is extremely defensive about who he has in charge. And I, I even had a debrief call just to poke the belly. Yeah. And, and when I got the data, I was like, okay, I'm going to run this session with this tone. And I have other clients where, you know, one of them's like a raging narcissist and I've joked with her about it. And, and so I'm really aggressive with her really because yeah. she needs that. She needs yeah. to be sucked out of her ego. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and everyone has their own style. Yeah. And so you kind of have to mirror that if you want to get along. It's not easy, but that's something that you need to do. And as part of that, listening to the client, listen to the consumer, it's the same thing. What I tell people in my industry is study your fans early on. Let them explain to you why this thing is so cool. You'll probably realize that their view is different than yours. And that's when you can change the product mix, change the package symbolism and suddenly the thing starts to hum. Yeah. Well, and there's one way that, and I'm sure this is, that this is included in your question, but kind of one tweak, one way that I'd augment, because you're saying you want to find out from your plans, from your fans, why what you're doing is cool. And you also want to find out what it does do that's cool that they expected and what did they do that's cool that they didn't expect. Because that yeah. thing they didn't expect in a lot of cases is where your pitch comes from. Because, you know, right. like, like for example, let's say that you're some kind of service company and you know things like time, availability, quality. Well, that's table stakes. If you don't have availability and quality, you're going to be out of this. Everybody does that. What you want to find out is what is it that you do that everybody else doesn't do that creates unique value because that's yeah. where you have competitive differentiation. Yeah. And that's what, you know, essentially that's what my book is a five and a half hour sales argument about that. Yeah. You know, because it's much better than 
even Dale Carnegie's sitting there yeah. over martinis because he's only going to be there for 30 minutes. But I got right. five and a half hours and I got charts and tables and I basically overwhelm the crap out of your head. And you realize, oh, he's a lot smarter than I am. When the time comes, I need to get this guy involved because like, yeah. <laughs> that's a world. There's so much more to this than I realized. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so because I'm not a master sort of interactor, uh-huh. the book, I said this to my brother once he th- and he thought I'd gone mad. But, um, <laughs> Well, because your brother is like, your older brother especially is like, they're like, wait a minute, this is the kid I used to beat up. Anyway, so (laughs) I said to him once that I've set the whole marketing funnel up so that people come to me rightly or wrongly with some kind of deference to my expertise. And I can actually measure in their tone, the language you're using in a 15 minute phone call. And that's how I screen out people. If they don't display that deference, I just basically find a million reasons to just walk away. Now, some people would say, what are you, a lunatic? I mean, they said they were going to hand you money and you said no. And I said, they're not going to be, and I, my answer is they're not going to be happy. I know that the people who are coming to me and they think like, I don't know, just some analyst guy, they know everything and they know the questions to ask. I don't want to do that work yeah. because I did that for 15 years. Yeah. For one thing. Second of all, it's just not true. Yeah. I mean, I can't honestly take money from people who don't know what they're doing, don't know the questions to ask, who want to hire me as if they know the questions, if you understand my logic. Yeah. Not kind of a I, consulting I, issue. I do. Well, exactly. So I just say no. I say you're not ready because you're not really dis- you're not willing to defer to an authority. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and if you I think that's yeah, you know, because you don't have to do what I advise. That's the beauty. And well, and the thing is, you know, if you're not looking, if somebody's not looking for somebody to really advise them, then in that case, yeah, you're probably actually benefiting them to say, hey, look, just save your money. If you're not in that space yet, then just do what you were going to do anyway, because if that's where it's going to end end up anyhow, then you might as well just save the money on the consulting fee. In my world, maybe it's true for other folks you've interviewed too, who work with a different client base, but in my world, what's often going on in these 15 minute calls in the first five minutes, I can just tell by what yeah. they're, how they start the conversation and uh-huh. what they're talking about, whether they really just are trying to get somebody to validate their current plans. And that's a huge red flag for me, yeah. professional services, because like it would seem like easy money, but it doesn't actually lead to a, a positive engagement many times. And it won't generate word of mouth because what happens is no one goes out and says, hey, dude, you've got to hire James because he will validate what, what you're about to do he will go through it. And, and I paid him $50,000 to validate my plan. So you yeah. got new word of mouth, Doug. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's you know, <laughs> what you're saying is you don't get leverage. Where you and, get well, word and of I think ma- that's really, you get, yeah. you, you get word of mouth when someone says, God, I, I know that you're the right guy. I don't know what you're going to tell us, but I know it's going to be valuable. And I, yes, I'm going to pay you 40,000. Yes. I'm going to wire half of it right now. These are huge acts of trust. Yeah. Yes. You know? And then yeah. glow and behold, you deliver something. Like, oh my God. I knew this was going to happen. That's the guy who goes tell and tells 10 people to hire. Well, well, and I think <laughs> the other thing too, is that, you know, if you're talking about say somebody who's looking validation, because, you know, I spent a lot of time in corporate and, you know, hiring yeah. consultants to validate what you already wanted to do anyway, is very common practice in corporate. Yeah. It's a political. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, and so, you know, but the thing is, right, you know, as you said, it doesn't generate any word of mouth. And generally speaking, you know, when you're in that space where you're hiring people to validate what you wanted to do anyway, usually you are not dealing with decisive leadership, which is, you know, if well, no, there is something de- to- You're dealing with the middle manager- yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. 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 Probably <laughs> the, the proverbial cross to Dracula, the thing you want to avoid in any situation of professional services at all costs is oh, yeah. indecisive management. I don't care how much money they want to throw at you. Avoid dealing with people who are indecisive because it, whatever hair you have left, you will rip it out before you're done. 
or and you know or my favorite in my world because there's so many companies are venture backed i probe for a f- am i being hired to settle a fight between the investors and you because i, I just literally delete yep. <laughs> yes that also exactly. leads to no worth of mouth and it actually i might not even get paid that's yes how bad correct. It could end. <laughs> yes. yeah that's <laughs> correct correct Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So well, yeah, that, that thing is, yeah, okay. Yeah. We'll say indecisive management and mediating, uh, mediating political battles. Those, those are two places you really don't want to be. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, well, wait, it's okay to get involved in the politics as long as you sold to the CEO. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. As long as you, <laughs> you know, right. and there's no one else involved. <laughs> yeah. Right. I would almost call that ascending to politics. But yeah, if you're involved in a middle management turf battle, there's, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're going to be in trouble. Well, the funny thing is, and I can just, I actually screen half these people out who are inappropriate just based on their title. Cause I'll have a, yeah. once in a while, I'll have like a head of sales uh-huh. at, a food, at a food company. Like, oh, I read your book. It's amazing. I'd love to work with you. And I just have my secretary tell them, yeah, I only work with CEOs and owner operators. I never hear from them again. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. they were they're trying to hire me to have some fight with their boss and i'm like are you kidding me yeah this like oh my lord no well let's see so i think uh, we're actually getting pretty close to time so james tell everybody where they can find your book and where they can learn more where they can connect with you and yeah so you can find my book ramping your brand on amazon.com if you if you're interested in the math yeah. the consumer behavior behind exponential growth i promise it applies to b2b it really does if you use your brain you'll read great case studies in there and some great data from some very famous brands that grew really fast because they engage with their fans in an intensive way. And that works in all industries. Outstanding. Well, and in addition to Amazon, you can also just go to rampingyourbrand.com. Well, that's my book uh, site. You can, yes, but also site, if yes. you're interested in what I do, you can go to premiumgrowthsolutions.com and you can see my lovely head on the top <laughs> above the fold and learn more about what I do with my clients. Outstanding. Well, hey, James, I really appreciate your time today. Okay. Thanks, Doug. Thank you for listening to the Terminal Value Podcast. Please feel free to visit me online at www.terminalvalue.biz where you can subscribe, find me on social, and then we can connect and just keep the conversation going. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you, and I hope you have a wonderful day. All rights reserved. No part of this broadcast may be produced in any form by any means without written permission from Business of Life, LLC. All trademarks and brands referred to herein are the property of their respective owners.